Hello, welcome to another segment of Business Way Outside the Box. My name is Steve Dubin, your host. I am the owner of PR Works, a lightly used public relations firm based in Plymouth, Massachusetts. We cover the topics of really unusual businesses or an unusual and effective approach to business. Today's guest has several decades of experience in sales as a salesperson and as a sales coach and uh, advisor. Ken Chio is um, a sales coach who has helped me personally and focuses on several different niches within the market, both manufacturing, sales, uh, uh, professional services, and software. In particular, he likes to help folks with complicated sales process and also those that have a long sales cycle. Um, let me welcome you, Ken Chio from Our Sales Coach. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Good to have you. And Ken, uh, tell me, uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind, uh, to everybody's mind these days, before we think of almost any topic is, how is the pandemic affecting our businesses? And you and I have talked uh, offline about how the pandemic actually offers some advantage and opportunity to sales folks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I mean, the most obvious is uh, there's there's real needs that that weren't weren't there before the pandemic. And you know, I have clients that are uh, participating in making masks and in making um, uh, test kits for uh, testing for COVID. I have uh, clients that are making parts for ventilators, and you know, this is not new. They've been doing this since March, April, May that time frame. Um, I have another client that's making uh, uh, controls for freezers. Now there's a huge opportunity there for that when they uh, launch and start to distribute the uh, vaccinations. So uh, that's the obvious one. But you know, everybody should uh, have known starting in March what markets that they're currently in that will be affected and have pivoted. Like for example, I had a client that <clears throat> sells office supplies. Uh, one of the markets is schools. You know, when the schools closed, we shifted. We were, you know, so they were shifting into municipal, state, and office essential services. I mean, the uh, the state published in in March. What are essential services? Let's help those essential services keep going, and keep our our clients employed. So, um, this is uh, not something that's new. It's something that you should be doing now, getting ready for next year without the pandemic, but it was obviously uh, very important to do and continues to be important. Ken, and the other part of the pandemic in sales is uh, we talked about there's the possibility that our prospects are, are more of a captive audience and more available to us because they may be hunkered down somewhere. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's some, I mean, I have some clients that, that predominantly were in automotive and commercial aviation. Those those markets still have continued to be slow, especially commercial aviation, but automotive is coming back. Um, but you know, really, again, it's something that you should be doing now, regardless of the pandemic, is looking at your markets, looking at where you're strong, where is your competitive advantage, 
And then externally, where is the opportunity? So I'll give you another example. I have a, a food manufacturing client. When we got uh, going prior to COVID, our objective would be was to um, sell more of their branded products to build their brand and get into some more uh, opportunities for the branded products. When COVID came, a lot of their competitors were having difficulty and there were a lot of people that were finding them and, and we just pivoted to work towards the uh, pipeline that they already had and building that pipeline for more co-packing opportunities. And they've just been slammed with that. Uh, got them into some new markets, some new um, products, product areas where they can really build on that and leverage that into, into some new areas as, as the pandemic now um, subsides, when and if it does, now they can, they can also go back to building their own branded products. And from a simple logistics standpoint, um, prospects are available. Um, you know, talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the barrier of voicemail, email, texting would block us from even talking to targeted prospects and how the pandemic may have impacted that. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because through the pandemic, everybody was like, oh, you know, how are we going to get a hold of people? Nobody's available. Nobody's going to their office. And it was the opposite. You know, think about it. Where were you going? Where, where were you going in April? Were you getting in your car? Were you going anywhere? You're going to the grocery store. That's it. Everybody was more available than they've ever been. They weren't going to meetings. They weren't going to the office and being in meetings all day. They were going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. The Zoom meetings got shorter as people got Zoomed out. And that's still happening. People are so available now. If you just pick up the phone or got a little creative with LinkedIn and, and email, uh, and that combination um, will, as long as you have the right person you're trying to get a hold of with the right message, people are, I think, still more available than they've ever been. It's, that's changing now that, you know, as since, since uh, offices are reopened and people are getting more back on track. But I think back in April and May, it was easy to get a hold of people. You just got to catch them between Zoom meetings. And what about the comment from some that it's insensitive to even uh, attempt to sell and, and do commerce during a pandemic? How do you respond? Well, I, you know, my clients are really focused on keeping their employees employed and keeping them paid. And there's nothing really incentive about that. It's just doing the right thing. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think anybody should be selling things to people who don't want them. That's what, that's how you give sales a bad name. You know, it, it, again, you, you know, right now is the time to be assessing your markets. Where are the opportunities? Who are you going after? Be focused. And the, the markets that you choose should be people who need what you provide. And there's a good reason for that. And once, once you've determined that and you know what your competitive advantage is and you've looked at the, that's the internal analysis. The external analysis is what's happening out there in the marketplace that would indicate that they really are 
interested in what you have to offer now because there's something that's happening in their marketplace. And when that, that, when you've discovered that and you know what those opportunities are, you can create, you know, really relevant and specific uh, messages that will get their attention. Uh, and then, you know, you'll be talking to people who actually have a problem for you to solve. Um, and and when, when that occurs, it's not insensitive. You're out there helping them solve a problem that they want to solve anyway. And you're just providing a service. That's how people should sell, regardless of the pandemic. Okay. And one of the things I want to touch upon is that I know you've recently launched a women-focused division within your sales consultancy. Can you tell me why uh, women have any different uh, experience in sales than men? Well, I don't know if I'm credentialed to talk about that, but that was really an innovation that was developed by my chief growth officer, Christine McIntyre. And uh, in in just her networking opportunity, uh, really, that was her brainstorm as a result of of her networking with them. And, you know, she first came to me and she was like, you know, with this idea and I'm, I'm like, well, you know, women don't really have different problems with sales than men. And the more that she discussed that with me, the more I realized that huh, that's not necessarily true that, um, you know, women um, are, uh, they behave differently when they're amongst their peers. And I think that there's, uh, there's an energy that, that is different uh, when they're, they're just women together and they're working together and they, um, uh, and, and so I think there's different reasons for it, but I do think that, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, some of the things that they say were, well, you know, um, in my marketplace, people are really more inclined to want to talk to a, you know, a 50 year old man, not a 50 year old woman. And, and this is just a mindset. It may be true, but it's a perception that if they, uh, as they work together, in, in a group of their peers, then they overcome that. And then they're working uh, from a, a, a position of more confidence, more courage, and helping each other overcome those, those uh, limiting beliefs. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and I think one of the challenges in sales, including mine, is, is that um, I thought that I was a natural salesperson. I had a, have a comfort with people. Um, I'm, a, I'm able to help them. Um, I'm able to do some, some investigation and determine what their needs are and assume that they're going to close naturally. What are some of the common mistakes that, that quote, natural salespeople make before they're trained by professionals like you? Yeah, uh, well, 
some mistakes that people make are are really uh, not having a focused market approach. That's the first thing. You know, that the, you have a tendency to be selling everything to everyone, in which case you can't be an expert. People want to do business with experts. Uh, the other thing is, if you're not really focused on who you're going after, and, I, and we try to get our clients working two to four specific markets, then. Uh, you can create a marketing plan to really develop leads. If you're trying to market in all different directions, it's impossible to do that. The other thing is putting together relevant messaging, like I was suggesting before. You can't really understand your market and have really relevant messages if you're not being specific. The third thing is um, your prospecting strategy, you know, there's common prospecting mistakes like being dependent on just passive channels, for example, and mar uh, manufacturers have a tendency to do that. You know, they have a website, they have clients that are buying, but they're not really proactive. Or they, or they are too dependent on a single channel. You know, a lot of service professionals, for example, you know, when I ask them, well, how, how do you, what do you do to prospect? Uh, they say it's mostly word of mouth. And referrals are obviously, the, you know, one of the best ways to get, get business. But if that's all you're doing, it's, it can be too inconsistent and unpredictable. And so you have to, you know, we try to get our clients working for active channels. And that way you have two that are really bringing in the lion's share of your business. And the other ones are supporting that along with your marketing strategy. So your marketing now is supporting you're prospecting and you're prospecting and supporting your marketing. So it's integrated and they're effective and working together. Okay. And while we're on that subject of referrals, what is the, what is the way to prime that pump um, with customers in particular who've had a, a positive experience um, and they might be traveling in the same circles um, of other folks who would be prime prospects for you? Yeah, you know, the, the first thing is, uh, well, there's there's two sources for referrals, which is a good thing. So if you want to have four active channels, you, you know, you can have two right there. One is your existing clients. And the second is strategic partnerships or centers of influence, sometimes they call them. So it's really two independent channels and you should be working both. I think everybody should, okay? When it comes to clients, you know, the first thing is ask. I find that most of the time people are not asking or asking enough. I mean, I just uh, got some really good referrals from, from you know, two clients that were financial planners. Uh, and, um, you know, they, they aren't even in a B2B environment. But I just asked them, hey, do you have any uh, clients that are salespeople? And they said, yeah. And then, you know, I've got now a top producer of a very large um uh, software company as a client and a, uh, another really good prospect of a company that has 10 salespeople and they're interested. And, you know, it's the other, the, the reason why those happened is because I asked. The second reason is I didn't ask them to do anything except suggest they take my call. A lot of times people are not, uh, you know, getting referrals because their sources think they need to sell it for them. I don't want my clients selling my service, all I wanted to do is suggest that they take my call and make sure they know I'm not gonna give them a sales pitch. I'm just gonna have a quick conversation. And then the third thing was, I was very specific. You know, um, 
down to the you know very person that you want to meet. And the more specific you are, the easier it is going to be for your sources to to refer to you. And I I don't think people uh, really have a process that enables them to be effective in doing that. Um, and so I think you know you should be asking all your happy clients for referrals. But when it comes to these strategic partners or centers of influence, then you want to be really strategic and really be evaluating the nature of those relationships you have and be limiting because you want to really be spending a lot of time, more time with the people who are really strategic for you and helping them help so that they can help you. Great. And uh, one of the things you talk about is all too often salespeople present before they have fully analyzed the situation and prepared for a presentation um, that sometimes they, they're talking price before they've even created value. Can you talk a little bit about um, sort of the information gathering prior to a proposal um, and, and why that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's a common thing, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard to resist the urge to jump in and start telling people how you can solve someone's problem before you really understood the problem in the first place. And you know if if you do spend the time and it doesn't you know if you spend an extra fifteen to thirty minutes with somebody to really understand why is the problem happening in the first place, how serious is it? Are they committed to solving the problem? How would they make that decision? Who would be involved? And when can they decide? And what do they want to invest? And you don't you take the pressure off that presentation. The problem is that we are uh, jumping the gun and um, and then providing that information too soon, in which case there's nothing left to really talk about uh, than how much. And, uh, you know, even worse, I think, you know, like I said, like, um, like you said, you know, uh, maybe half of our business is working with manufacturers. They tend to be, you know, getting themselves qualified to bid and then just going in and talking to purchasing people asking, can I, can I quote something? Can I quote something? And, and then to make it worse, once they do have a request with specific details, they're firing off proposals or quotes in email. Well, at that point, they've lost all control. And, and there's really no reason for their prospect to get back to them and give them feedback on that unless they want to buy or they have a question. And when you're operating that way, you know, there's a tendency to have, you know, a very low um, close rate. It, it's tainted because, you know, these companies have existing customers that come back and buy over and over again. So they think, oh, my close rate is really high. And it is, it's probably 90% on existing. But where's the new business? What's the close rate on new opportunities? You know, when you, if you isolate that and take a look at that, it could be as low as 5%. 
and typically maybe 20, 25. And so when you have a new opportunity, you know, you're wasting your time on 80% of those deals. Um, and then, you know, the other problem we already talked about is they're just not being proactive enough in finding those new opportunities. Well, Ken, that, that's a lot of information to take in um, and a lot of good specific advice. Uh, if people want to pursue and have a, a further conversation with you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, well, you can go to my website, uh, www.oursalescoach.com. You could uh, send me an email, kcheo at oursalescoach.com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn uh, at Ken Chio is my LinkedIn. Um, or give us a call. Our, our phone number is on the website. And, um, um, you know, now is really the time to really be looking at, okay, what's your marketing plan for next year? What's your prospecting plan for next year? What's your referral plan for next year? How are you going to track things? Are you tracking the right things? Um, and so now's the time to be putting all that together. Uh, as in fact, uh, we're, we're running a special program now. We're um, running, we're running a four session program just to do all four of those things. So, um, you know, it'll give uh, those those clients a competitive advantage to start off 2021. Okay, Ken, thank you so much. Uh, it has been uh, a very thorough, interesting, useful uh, interview. I appreciate your time uh, and you being with us. I am going to sign off. This has been uh, another episode of Business Way Outside the Box, sponsored by PR Works. If you know of someone who has an unusual business or takes a really unusual approach to business, please contact us. We look forward to uh, determining who our next guest will be. Thanks again, Ken. Yeah, thank you. Go grow right. something, everyone. Thank you.